You're listening to Identity Revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the uh, Infutor Data Solutions Identity Revolution podcast. Uh, my name is Corey Davis. I lead the MarTech, AdTech, and Media uh, Industry Vertical and Category here at Infutor, uh, and very, very excited to, to have our guest today, uh, Scott McKinley from TrueSet uh, with us. I'm going to run through... Uh, a little bit of an intro here. Um, so Scott is founder CEO uh, of Truthset. Uh, earlier in his career, founded uh, three different companies: I- Ideafy, Factored TG, and Sweet Smart. Um, was also uh, an executive at Nielsen for about seven years or so, um, and all of that after. Uh, this, this one's pretty interesting. Uh, after about a ten-year career as a professional cyclist, uh, including uh, the, he was captain of the 1988 uh, U.S. Olympic road cycling team in Seoul. So uh, we're recording here on, on August 10th. Uh, the closing ceremonies were just a couple of days ago for, for this recent round of Olympics. Um, personally, I'm also training for a triathlon, so I'm very very excited to ask some real hard questions around cycling. Um, but um, I guess to, to get us started, I guess, Scott, thanks for, thanks for joining. Really appreciate you, you getting involved here. We love TrueSet. So uh, thanks for joining. And, and I guess to get us started, give the audience a little bit, a little bit more detail, a little bit more context on your, on your background, uh, both yourself, your career, and, and ultimately what led you to starting, starting TrueSet. Uh, yeah, thanks, Corey. I'm happy to be here. Um, I guess if you want a little a little trajectory, career trajectory that somehow creates a a segue between riding your bike around to get paid and make a living to, <laughs> to trying to figure out um, you know how to how to measure the accuracy of of all the world's data, I can try to give you that. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. I mean, I guess you know in in sports. Um, you know, there's a there's a sort of a certainty and truth to to professional sports, right? I mean, it, it, for the most part. In fact, um, you know what 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 draws somebody to become a, a professional athlete of any kind is is a desire to you know put it all out there and be smarter and train harder and, and do your best. And you hope that you hope that uh, what you bring to the table um, gets you across the line first, or you know gets your team uh, the goals it needs or whatever else. And you know, actually, the reason I quit sports, cycling in particular, is because there was uh, sort of an influx of, of really potent drugs that came out of the Eastern Bloc countries when the wall came down. Um, these incredible sort of high octane um, drugs, like what I'm called EPO, that basically uh, forces your bone marrow to, to transfer more oxygen. It's just like a car; if it aspirates better, it's going to go better. And, I, that, to me, that's lying. You know, to me, that was like that was that was bullshit. It kind of it kind of undermined the beauty of, of sports. And so, I don't. You know, fast forward. I don't think it's any surprise for someone wired like me to to you know to um, operate with integrity and and to try to try to win legitimately <laughs> to find myself in a position where um, you know I'm trying to help everybody who uses data understand what's real and what's not. Um, you know, where there's, whether it's inadvertent, you know, sort of emphasis on, on scale versus accuracy or whether it's outright, you know, bad players in the ecosystem. I thought, I thought it was a, it's kind of a nice tie back to finding truth in things, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, that's what truth said does. Um, 
we measure the accuracy of, of data at the record level. And I think, as everybody knows, pretty much every consumer-facing enterprise uses person-level data to understand their customers, to understand their targets and prospects, to market to them and, and send ads to the right people. And, you know, the, the better data is, um, the, the better all that performs. Absolutely. That, that was actually a pretty good transition. I like that. <laughs> into data quality and accuracy. I like that. High integrity throughout. I yeah. like it. Um, so, okay. So you mentioned a little bit about, about TrueSet uh, itself and, and kind of where it sits, but, but I guess give us more on like, so how long you've been, how long ago did the business start? Like, I guess walk us through the, the model, I guess the business model of like, who are you selling to? Like it, it is a, it is a business, right? So I guess talk us through, talk us through that. It's not, yeah. it's not a nonprofit, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, like how do you guys make money? Like where do you sit and, and who are you working with on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the origin story for, for TruthSet really starts at, at Nielsen. You know, I, I did spend seven years there. I, you know, I really came from a, a sort of modern background, you know, living in, in the Bay Area and, and being there for the first dot-com boom and bust cycle. Um, so what I tried to do at Nielsen was sort of, you know, help that company modernize, move away from, you know, panels that were extrapolated to describe large audiences to, you know, just the audiences themselves working with more and more big data. And I learned a couple of things there that, that definitely led to, to the creation of TruthSet, right? One was the value of independent measurement, the value of, of, of an, someone that sits between uh, buyers and sellers and, and helps both sides understand the actual value of, of the asset being traded. In the, in the case of Nielsen, it's, it's, you know, how big is an audience on television? Like nobody knew. <laughs> and so you had a lot of, you know, a lot of claims, a lot of, a lot of BS in the system. And I think when, when Nielsen stood up a measurement system for linear television, it, 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 you know, it cleaned up the market. It, it, it removed a lot of friction between buyers and sellers and allowed everyone to agree on what the value of the asset was being traded in that case, you know, it's, it's uh, audiences on television. So I, I really believe that, you know, and I, and I saw, I mean, Nielsen's an amazing company. It gets, it gets a lot of um, criticism for a lot of different reasons. Um, some of it's legit, a lot of, some of it's not, but there's no question in my mind that, um, in a market where there's opacity and, and the, and the sort of ability to obfuscate, um, truth, it's, it's not good for anybody. Um, so, so that's, you know, that really is what came, what, what truth set came from it is, is I figured, you know, if Nielsen figured out how to make $2 billion a year, um, being the arbiter of truth for how big an audience is on linear television, you know, why isn't there someone being the arbiter of truth for the new fuel that runs the economy, which is, which is data. Um, and, and we, we put together a a crazy idea (laughs) to, to work with data providers like yourselves, um, and, and really stand on the shoulders of of giants like, like in Futor and other companies who've worked really, really hard to assemble high quality data tied to consumer IDs. And we took all that data and we ran some, pretty sophisticated algorithms to figure out, you know, what truth actually was. And, and that's what we produce. We produce a, a measurement of the accuracy of data. So that's, you know, your email address and the, and, and the assertion of, of what your gender is and do you have kids in the home and all the different dimensions that, that, uh, that people want to know about people. Um, and so where we sit, we, we really, it's a, it's actually a challenge of the company is, is we sit everywhere. I mean, basically anybody who is either producing, you know, assembling, producing, um, selling, um, exchanging or otherwise using record level data to do stuff 
can benefit by understanding, you know, which records are accurate and which ones are not and the degree of accuracy that, that all that data is. And so, you, you know, one way to think about us is like an octane rating, like, like you see on a gas pump, um, you know, it, and it's, it's, it's a good analogy because, you know, there's no absolute truth, right? <laughs> there just isn't. I mean, we have a, we create a score about, let's just say gender, and it's not yes or no. It's it's like zero to one. Like zero, like zero point zero one is like there's a ninety nine point nine nine chance that this is not what you think it is. You know, ninety nine point nine is there's a ninety nine percent likelihood that this person is actually male or this person is actually Hispanic or whatever the dimension is that we're that we're measuring. Um, so you know, like an octane rating, we allow all those people who work with record level data to really discern the accuracy of data. And again, it's not it's not binary. It's sometimes you want less accuracy for more scale. Sometimes you want more accuracy and you're willing to give up scale to get that. Um, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. I mean, if you're like in the marketing world, um, if you're McDonald's, you know, you can afford to market to anybody who, who might go to McDonald's. That's an awful lot of people. Um, you know, you still want to know, am I reaching the right, you know, sort of socioeconomic uh, group of folks, people with kids uh, you know, on the go. There's a bunch of dimensions there that'll, that'll make you more precise, but you can afford to be a little, a little less, accurate and so you'll 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 sort of trade off accuracy for scale um maybe you're cap one and you're you're marketing a, a credit card for for college kids and it's got a high interest rate and a low max well if you're wrong about that and maybe there's a financial offer associated i mean you, you want to be right you don't want to send like i'll never respond to a credit card offer with an interest rate of 35 percent, you know because that's people trying to build their credit or or if you've got coupons and things that are, where there's a financial component to the advertising. You want to be extremely precise about who you're marketing to. Um, I mean, one more example would be gender. You don't want to make, you know, market female products to female CPG products to men and, and vice versa. So um, that's what we do. We measure the accuracy of record level data. We let um, data providers uh, we help them understand how accurate their data is and how that can be improved. We help um, buyers of that data uh, discern quality across data providers and even down to the, to the record level. So they basically don't pay for data that's inaccurate. We help marketplaces um, understand, essentially put a badge right in the in the tool set there in the marketplace to, so that buyers can discern between folks who've been measured and those who don't want to be measured for some reason, which raises some eyebrows. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we operate anywhere there's record level data to allow the, the use case to operate better and produce better outcomes. Got it, got it. Okay, and so, and so the key so you got a lot of different um, um, partner segments, I guess, or, or different constituents there. But the the customer for Truthset is who is the brand? It, I um, mean, yeah, it's everybody. And it's again, that's kind of like yeah. a it's kind of a problem when you try to focus on a go to market strategy. I mean, we you know we spent two years building the capability that could actually do the thing that we just that I just described, measuring record level data. And then we went to market as well. Who you know, everybody can use this. I mean, a, a somebody who has first party data, a PNG, or a marketer like a like a Unilever or PNG um, can use that. A data seller can use it to um, you know, describe the quality of their data in a in an RFP or a, you know a bidding situation for buyers. Um, so it's 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 really everybody. Um, whether you're you know a buyer trying to d decide between data provider A, B, C, or D, or if you're a um, a marketer trying to you know find a hundred million IDs in the 
in the media that are supposed to be Hispanic because I'm going to deliver a Spanish language ad. You know, you don't want to send, <laughs> you don't want to send those those marketing messages in Spanish to people who can't read Spanish. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, it's it's the answer is everybody. I mean, we we literally get paid um, or, and service the whole like the whole data ecosystem. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, appreciate that that walkthrough. I think that's that's helpful. Hopefully, that's helpful to to the audience here. Um, okay, so to to take a take a step back away a little bit from from Truthset, like you're somebody who's been in the ecosystem, been in the game for a long time, twenty years or something, uh, and so so in the in the software data marketing category ecosystem industry whatever you want to call it um you know obviously nptor thinks data is, is certainly a pretty meaningful category to to those marketers i think you mentioned you know sort of data as the as the fuel uh, of the of the economy so you know i guess uh how has it changed in the last 20 years and then and then i don't know if i've force you to make a prediction 20 years out, but, but maybe like where, where are we going three to five years from now uh, in this sort of data ecosystem underneath, underneath marketing? Yeah, it's, it's a great, a great question, a set of questions, I guess. I mean, I think if you look back across the sort of digital revolution of, of the economy and, 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 and marketing and, and even how, how every B2C company runs, you know, the, since the mid '90s, I'd say when digital, when data became just so broadly available, and you know, everyone started figuring out, wow, like there's there's so much data available about people and how they move around the internet, where they go, what they buy, who they might be. All this behavioral information was generated from all these, you know, from our behaviors, frankly, right? And, and it was it was extremely powerful. It allowed marketers to to really hone in on an audience. It allowed you know people doing their own customer analytics to be much more precise and accurate about who their customers are and, and how they buy and why they buy and, and what sort of messages they respond to. So there was this, you know, sort of, you know, revolution really in how everybody thought about, about marketing and, and about consumer data, all driven from the availability of data. And what happened was, I think we've done a good job as a, as a whole industry. Um, you think about Salesforce or you think about these big, you know, trade desks and stuff, it, really, really good job figuring out how to capture that data um, and organize it, store it, organize it, analyze it, and use it to predict things, like to predict whether or not I should see a, you know, a feminine hygiene product ad. I shouldn't, right, or, or whatever. So um, that was really powerful. There's a couple of things though, that, have, that have become really clear. One was, you know, the whole time we weren't really paying, as an industry, weren't really paying attention to, to consumer privacy and, and the fact that have, these people know that their data is being used for all these purposes. I think the changes in the last five years led by GDPR and regulation and, and some some uh, sort of self-policing has been really, really healthy, right? Uh, we need to protect consumer privacy. I think that that's not going to get shut down entirely because there's a value exchange between consumers and, and 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 the entities like ourselves or media properties where there's a gift to get, hey, I'll give you this information, let you monetize it in return for accessing you know, Facebook content or, or, or Twitter or whatever else. So that's a good thing. The other thing was uh, where, where we fit in is, you know, billions of dollars went into building the systems to generate and capture and analyze and, and predict based on record level data, but nobody really paid much attention to the quality of the data. And you know, the, in marketing, the emphasis was always on scale. Like, how can I reach, you know, an impossibly narrow audience? Um, and I, you know, we, I think we've all heard horror stories. I mean, <laughs> we bought some companies at Nielsen. I remember doing due diligence uh, for a 
category company called DMP, Data Management Platform, where the, the head of data science bragged that he could deliver, you know, something like 8 million, you know, soccer moms in Kansas City, you know, this impossibly large number. And I'm like, okay, you know, the census would tell you there's probably, maybe there's 100,000 moms in New York, in, uh, in Kansas City, there aren't 8 million. <laughs> And he said, doesn't matter. I can mathematically back it up. I'm like, okay, well, this is a problem. So I think, you know, the emphasis was on building the systems and everyone forgot that there's a fuel that's running through these systems and the, and the, the quality of it, of it matters, you know? And I, and I think there's what we learned right away in working with all of the, our data partners and analyzing all this data was there's incredible variability in the quality of data. There are providers, like a buyer might think, oh, what's the difference? You got provider A, B, C, and D. It's all pretty much the same. They must source. It's not true at all. There's incredible variability. I could try out some stats, but, you know, in, let's say for Hispanic segments, you know, I've seen data providers come up with, you know, literally 15 or 20% accuracy in, in, a, in a pool of IDs that they are swearing up and down and sideways are Hispanic. Others are 80% accurate, right? And that's a huge difference when you talk about, you know, if you're Tecate and you're marketing to Hispanics, you know, you don't want to throw 70% of your money on the floor delivering ads to people who are not Hispanic. So uh, incredible variable. So what we've done is, is, is bring accuracy to the equation, right? It's not just price and scale, it's accuracy too. And we're learning um, from our customers that it really does matter. It changes the outcomes of any operation that's driven by data, particularly marketing. And it's not hard. I mean, we have a very simple, very modern company. We have a very simple process of assessing accuracy. So that's all great. I think going forward, you know, now that this notion of data accuracy is is a thing you know that toothpaste is not going back in the tube i mean you know we have uh we have i think 22 of the leading data companies in in the in the in north america you know participating in our in our sort of data analysis engine and they're finding that you know if they're in an rfp situation and there's somebody there who doesn't have a truth set badge who's not been scored by truth set they're not they're not they're not able to bid for the business i mean what you know it's like a it's like an octane rating on a gas pump, you just would not go to a gas station and buy cheap gas. It doesn't have an octane rating because you know somebody didn't come along and say, you know, this is 92 octane. You can put it in your Ferrari or your Maserati, or you're driving a rental. You can put 87 in, but there's still a, there's still a score there that'll give you the confidence of the quality of that of that fuel. And I think that's what's going to happen um, more and more as people get used to the notion of quality. I think the, the last thing I'll say is we want to raise all boats. Like we think that increasing the accuracy of data. Um, makes it makes it better for everybody. It's better for the data providers. It's better for the people who buy that data and use that data because outcomes are better. It's even better for the consumers in the, in the marketing use case where, you know, they want more precise and relevant advertising. I don't want to see Spanish language as I don't speak Spanish. So, you know, that's our, that's our mission is to, you know, not only measure the quality and the accuracy of the world's data, but to turn around and use it uh, so that all the participants can, can get better and more precise and, and all with a layer of privacy and compliance on top of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I actually, uh, literally like 100% agree with everything you just said. So that was, you, you pass, I'll allow it. Uh, that was, yes, totally agree. Um, all right. So looking at, looking at time here, I think, uh, I think the last couple of questions I wanted to ask is, you know, I think most of us have been, have been at home for the last 18 months. Uh, so I guess what's, so, First question is, we talked about the cycling thing. Are you still active? Are you still cycling? Are you still doing other things like that? Uh, have you gone on any cool rides recently? If so, where? <laughs> what if, well, what I've found on that one is I have a theory that if you spend, you know, 12 or 13 years of your life 
um, exercising 20 plus hours a week in a hard, you have even like a residual halo benefit that seems to last for a long time. Cause I haven't, I don't think I've ridden my bike sort of COVID, you know, just trying to get this company off the ground. And, and then, you know, once we started getting picked up by clients, it just gets so active. I just kind of, for the first time in my life blew off riding for a little while. And it doesn't, it hasn't seemed to have that much effect. And the thing about being a pro athlete in an endurance sport is, is, you know, you learn how to suffer. Like I can <laughs> even unfit, I can go out and hurt people just because I know how to dig <laughs> like way, way deeper than, than, uh, than they do. But no, I don't, I don't, I, I'm just barely smart enough not to, um, not to let my ego take control and try to actually be competitive again. I, I tend to ride socially. I, I love multi-day rides. Um, I might do one in November with some friends down in, in Baja, Mexico, but, uh, that's great. In fact, I've always, um, you know, this industry is chock full of, of cycling fanatics or triathletes like yourself. You know, I've always thought it'd be fun to put together a sort of, you know, multi-day ride, maybe down the coast of California with, you know, 15 or 20 folks from the industry. And that, yeah, wouldn't that be great? I mean, you just, because you get to ride next to somebody for three hours, you you, you rotate, so you meet new people. It's yeah. very social. And yeah, so that's my that's my remaining ambition in the in the sort of sports world is to try to connect uh you know cycling and and uh, and the data industry <laughs> wish me luck i think that's that's a great idea i mean i uh so i'm not a good cyclist uh but i'm a much better cyclist than i am like a golfer like golf to me like it's seen its last days in like the social businessy kind of world like i'm all for cycling being the replacement for that <laughs> uh or surfing or something like that yeah um so yeah, sounds good. I'm in on your you know, San Francisco right. to San Diego or something. All right, I got one uh, sign up. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna take me four months to go from A to B there. Uh, all right. So other other than that, um, I guess where can where can the audience find more about TrueSet, about you? Um, where can we go to to learn more? Yeah, I mean, uh, anybody who's interested in, in, in data quality, which I hope is everybody, um, <laughs> uh, you know, we have a website, truthset.io. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, happy to connect and respond um, to either of those channels. Um, and, I, you know, what I would hope for is that there's people out there. I mean, what we've learned as we, as we release this notion of, of, wow, you can actually measure data quality is, is well, how much does it matter? You know, and, and, you know, our clients who are now using us realize it matters a lot, like we can in increase on target percentage for a campaign from 25% to 75%. They just material gains that reflect an ROI. But I, you know, I would encourage people to lean in and and really just ask us, well, what what could this do for me? You know, what could this do for my business, whether you're doing CRM enrichment or data provider selection or or data-driven marketing. You know, there are there are, let me put it this way. I think that in the in the programmatic or the aver digital advertising space, I think the last big substantial like gain in efficiency was probably viewability where you know everyone realized holy smokes like half my ads aren't viewable i think this could be the the next biggest gain certainly the biggest gain in efficiency since viewability because we're able to say of an audience of a of 100 people you're going after look 60 percent are not what you think they are and that's a you know if you can let's just say we cut that in half and we improve efficiency by 30 percent i mean we're in a world where where marginal gains are are all you get so to improve efficiency by 20 or 30 or 40%, that, that, that's huge. So anybody who's got questions, definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn or through our website. We've got a little, you know, a little chat bot there. <laughs> and uh, it would happy to teach you about the, the value of, of bringing data quality into the mix as you work with record level data. Awesome.
All right, uh, audience, thank you for joining us. Scott, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, that is another episode of the Identity Revolution, Identity Revolution podcast. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks, Corey.